boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Binge Boys, Binge Boys, episode two. And I want to introduce my good friend, Lon Harris. Hey, everybody. I'm here. I'm back. Good to see you, Lon. I'm Hal Rudnick, and we are excited to be brought to you by Starburns Audio. And I want to give a shout out to all of our friends in Owl Nation. Hoot hoot to all the owls out there. Can I say how I'm surprised and delighted to actually be brought to the people by Starbirds? You said this was going to happen. And then one day there was their podcast was on the Internet with the Starbirds, a little trademark on it afterwards. How wonderful. like, Like it just happened all of a sudden one day. Dreams do come true, Lon. Dreams do come true. You know what? I I think I'm going to ask you every show um, because you are such a maven when it comes to all things streaming, Lon. You write a streaming newsletter. I do. There are new streaming shows every week. Last week, you said there were 18 streaming shows in total. In the world. In the world. It's an all-time record. That's why we're at peak TV. Because of eight, has, eight, 18, it's like <laughs> way up there. It's getting crazy. Yeah, a few of them are prestige. Maybe a few of them are like kids Disney shows. said they're going to pivot and now they're going to focus mostly on streaming, which means they could be making just single-handedly as many as five shows. Wow. I mean, the numbers are off the charts. You so almost is can't it, count it on one hand. Almost. It, <laughs> the, the amount that would come from Disney. The right? amount of Disney original streaming shows we could have by, let's say, 2035. And the amount of streaming shows total, you almost can't count it on all of your fingers and toes combined. We could be getting as high as two baker's dozens at some point, which is just astronomical when you're talking about entire shows. I look forward to your list the 18 shows. <laughs> the, yeah, all 18. It'll be the three best and then the other 15. That'll be the, the list. Number one, Suits. <laughs> from the USA Network? Yeah, from you. Characters are welcome there. Oh, yeah. Suits. Psych. Suits, I, yeah. But all their, shows, all their shows have to be based around the uh, suh syllable. Suits and psych. Was USA Network, you're old enough to remember this, Lon. Was USA oh, Network dear. home to that show Silk Stockings? I believe it was. I believe that was the sort of thing that would air on USA up all night. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the kind of thing that titillated a young It was, yes, silk. it was. It was a basic, like, the kids today don't really know about basic cable. So there was premium cable, your HBOs, your Skinamaxes, your Showtimes, actual nudity. But most of our households did not pay for the premium channels back in this era. So you would get basic cable, not really any nudity, but a lot of suggestive situations, which is why you'd get stuff like USA Up All Night, designed, as Hal said, to titillate. Yes, like you'd get a hot saxophone. Yeah. And some uh, seduction. And you'd get the pre-coital and you'd get the post-coital. Right. But you wouldn't get the coital. No, it was you would skip right. It, it, the, the movies were often like they were softcore that were like edited so that they could be aired on like a USA. So, right. There would be like 
just as the topless person is about to turn and face camera, that's when you cut away to commercial. And then you come back and it's later and everyone's smoking and like walking away from the campsite. You're like, oh, I bet that was good. That was probably. Yeah. Oh, man. I bet some real uh, situations happened in front of that campfire that I am too young to see. Yeah, and that that was all we had when we were a kid. But nowadays, I don't know how this conversation has devolved into this, by the way. I apologize for taking it to the smoke I zone. I specifically <laughs> don't apologize. But nowadays, you got everything you want, every kink you want, just a few keyboard strokes away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I really were never going to get back to that era where young people were, like, desperate for softcore pornography. It, it's just too readily available everywhere now like that that era is just gone forever oh back when the pioneers had to uh rough it <laughs> the pioneers yes you know lewis and clark traversing a river in search of softcore who could forget that era? oh just a glimpse like a willa cather novel <laughs> a willa cather novel all right lon we have a full docket of shows to talk about this week, and we're going to kick it off with season four of Fargo. It dropped a few weeks ago. Chris Rock leading the way. And Lon, why don't you share some thoughts on uh, what are you thinking of it? I'm enjoying it. I've, I've been enjoying it so far. I've been, I, I feel like this is the kind of show that ultimately I'm going to like respect more than maybe love. Like, I don't, there have been pre, like, especially season two of Fargo, I feel like is, I, I love that season. I like season three. I mean, I like all the few seasons up until I now. I did not care for season three. I thought Ewan McGregor was doing this, like, his weird, it was a weird stunt acting thing and did not pay off for me. I thought season three of Fargo was a bad season of television. The show is always very, like, mannered and it's always very self-conscious. And I know that that doesn't always rub people the right way. I thought Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons nailed it in a way that no other primary cast like i think bokeem woodbine was amazing in season one and billy bob thornton but i think only some of the actors i feel like really get it there is a performance i want to talk about in season four that i feel like is also one of the greats of fargo and one of the ones that i don't like right um, uh, before we uh um jump fully into season four i said i don't care for season three but i thought seasons one and two were both spectacular yeah i think two to me is like the high watermark so far like that's the one where i feel like everything kind of clicked and i'm like i get exactly what this show is like two almost feels like its own coen brother project like it's that good i think uh, yeah i think both season one and two really captured the flavor of the coen brothers i mean coen brothers have a lot of different flavors but that fart that distinct fargo flavor yeah so moving into the new season yes i feel like they're doing a thing that the coen brothers do but i think the coen brothers are better at it i think there's a thin line between keeping a lot of secrets and a lot of people's motives sort of obscure for a while. So you build up that air of mystery, but then I think you can tip too far and it's just like, it's not clear what's going on and it kind of starts to lose you. And I feel like this season is, it's not just hard to follow. It's almost like purposefully frustrating where I just always feel like I'm kind of behind and I'm like, wait, who, what, like, why is she doing it? Like, where, why are they going? That, wait, what, who, what was that guy? Like, especially I'll give you the, the prime example. And I was talking to Riley Silverman and I were talking about this on Twitter. So shout out to her. She pointed this out as well. They're the, the, the child trading stuff in the pilot. The like these families are going to swap kids. And then these kids are going to swap. And then these kids are going to swap. But then there's a betrayal. And it's just like, 
that's a thing that I feel like the Coens would have handled really smoothly and you'd totally get who was who. And in this, I'm like still in episode three, like, so that was, wait, he was that kid? And like, which is the kid who did this? And there's even like a scene where another character is asking Ben Wishaw, like, which kid were you? And I'm like, yeah, like this should be more cleanly worked out by now. And it's just almost purposefully confusing. It felt like they would, you know, do enough dissolves of like the grown up's face into the kid's face or they vice versa. They did do versa. that. I just, it, it was just the way it was handled just felt a little like, I don't know. It's like a little, and, and, and that's just one example of like a lot of things this season that just feel like it's like there's an extra step inserted sometimes that we didn't need. Like, it just feels like it's purposefully like things are obscured when I, it would be pretty easy to just be like, here's what this character's after. Sure. Uh, th but I think there's a lot to like about it. I, I love how, especially that first episode, there's some lovely stylization of the way they go about introducing characters, the way they take you through the past. I thought that was like brilliantly filmed and there was a lot of just cool use of graphics, how like the handwritten graphics came up introducing the characters. But that aside, been enjoying, I, I've got, well, I've got a little bit of a love-hate relationship with Chris Rock, I'll tell you that, because I feel like he plays this entrepreneur who's got a, a crime boss and he's got some really fascinating, like, cool business ideas. And I think he's great at that. But as a tough guy, I don't buy Chris Rock as a tough guy. Oh, I mean, I don't really have a problem with his character in this season. I mean, I feel like he works as kind of the centerpiece around which a lot of the more interesting storylines are kind of revolving. Like, I was going to say, there are a couple characters that I think totally nail what this show is about at its best this season. And then there's one that I think is really like, here's what I don't like about Fargo. And he's none of them. Like, I don't think he's a particularly interesting character. I feel like it's an odd role to put a guy like Chris Rock in because it's kind of the straight man. Like, it's kind of the he's the calm center around which the more eccentric, interesting characters pivot. And like, I guess that makes sense because Chris Rock as a comedian is very lively and high energy. But as an actor, he is sort of surprisingly subdued. Yeah, I, I feel like with a lot of roles he plays, Chris Rock there's always going to be some Chris Rock coming out. He, it's hard to make Chris Rock disappear in, Interesting, in the though, character. Early in his career, like when, like Boomerang and CB4 Chris Rock, it's like not that different from stand-up comedy Chris Rock. Whereas yeah. the later in the career you get, the more I think he wants to give performances like the one he's giving in Fargo as Loy Cannon, where he's like very subdued and it's like moments where the big energy comes out. And then he takes it right back down to like, I don't need to, you know, like top five or something where it's like, I'm already established. I don't need to perform for you. You come to me. And like, that's the kind of character he ends up in, I think, more often now. The two performances that I'm absolutely loving, I adore. They're, they're what's getting me through this season. Glenn Turman as Dr. Senator, who is Chris Rock's sort of right hand man. He's killing it. And if, this is what I mean. Like, you need the Chris Rock character there. To, so that this guy has a role and like he gets the showy moments and he had that monologue the other week about interviewing Goering and like his ex wartime experiences. It was just perfect and so, so well delivered and like one of the best moments of the whole season so far. And like that's exactly the kind of like offbeat, eccentric, interesting character that I think makes 
like for a great crime show. Like those are the kinds of people I want to spend a lot of time with. The other one is Jesse Buckley, who is from, I'm thinking of ending things as uh, I'm forgetting her, or- Oriella. Orietta Mayflower. Right, yes. Who is just, again, like the kind of the one thread that really links this season up to previous seasons. She has the accent. She's that kind of folksy, sort of Northern Midwestern kind of caricature. But with this mm-hmm. crazy, very eccentric, very unexpected Edge, a fantastic character, h- hilarious and weird and, and super compelling and just draws you right into the show. I think. Yeah, and definitely hard to put your finger on. Like, it's like, oh, is are we supposed to like her? Or, oh, but are, are we supposed to hate her now? Just like from scene to scene, extremely unpredictable. Her character is kind of what I thought Ratchet the show was going to be. Like, it's going to be about this, like, weird, wild nurse character in this period drama. It's going to be, like, really unpredictable. And instead it was like, it's like Hannibal. It's like crazy, gory, insanity, like violent mayhem. Oh, yeah. It feels like it's completely disconnected from, like, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. No, it really it feels like a prequel to Science of the Land. Yeah, Nurse Ratchet and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was not going around murdering Jack Nicholson. She was just ordering his lobotomy. People get, like, perforated with a pitchfork in that. Yeah. In that show. It's crazy. Multiple people. I also, I was a little dubious about Jason Schwartzman, but I like him playing. So he's like a combination of Michael and Fredo Corleone because he, he's thrust into, he's the just inept wannabe tough guy who really doesn't know what he's doing, who's thrust into power. And he plays this great, like just inept in over his head mobster. Yeah, more than any other actor who does Wes Anderson movies, Jason Schwartzman, anytime he's in any other movie, it makes it feel like a Wes Anderson world to me. Like, there's a lot of those scenes of him being a mob boss where it's like, this is like if Wes Anderson made a mafia movie. This is what it would be like. (laughs) It's like this guy would be the boss and everybody's just kind of standing around and they're like having these kind of real casual kind of conversations, but in these like ornately decorated offices and like it doesn't i can't help it it just feels like rushmore meets the godfather but but not in a bad way and like a quirky charming way that i think is it works with the show but i will say this leads me into the character that i don't like this season oh lay it on me i i feel like a lot of people could probably see this coming it's gaetano fada the jack black-esque cousin or brother from italy who has come over and is creating problems for Jason Schwartzman's new boss. He wants to go anymore. He's like the Sonny Corleone to Jason Schwartzman's Michael Corleone, who wants to take a tougher, more violent stance towards the, the black uh, family, uh, the rep, the Cannon family represented by Chris Rock. And I get, look, I get that the character is supposed to be larger than life it's like a commentary on this archetype of the like psychotic cousin from the old country who's like unhinged and who wants to like i i get it i i feel like i get what it's going for but it's too big and the actor is making these enormous choices that just don't feel balanced with the rest of this world like he's like bugging his eyes out and doing these like really extreme gestures and it's just like He's in a cartoon world. Like, it's so over the top. The original Fargo also does this. It goes from comedy to, like, some real gore. Sure, 
Sure. You know, as it shifts in tones from scene to scene, yeah, that can be a little tough. Well, but the comedy in the movie is usually not that broad. It's like Mike Yanagita at the Radisson, you know, and he's like, it's awkward comedy, or it's like Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare in the car, like, we stop at Pancake's house. Like, it's not, I feel like the Gaetano Fada stuff is like the next level where it almost is watching a parody of this kind of genre material rather than a sort of sly tongue-in-cheek take on it. I just feel like it kind of misses the the tonal mark. Yeah, I I, I hear you on that. I, I see where it doesn't b- bother me as much as it's keeping you up at night. There uh, was long, one but... scene in episode three where he's giving the order to go shoot a, a member of Chris Rock's family. And I mean, it is, it, it reminded me of like a high school play, like how a high schooler would play a psychotic mobster. <laughs> I like, we're not releasing video. This is just a podcast, but just like, he, it's literally like if Jack Black was doing this in a broad comedy movie, that's how he. Or was. like the play in Rushmore. Right. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Right. Like, like it's too big. And I feel like it's weird that whoever was directing the episode wasn't like talking to the actor, like, let's bring it down like a half step. Like, I don't want you to lose the comedy, but like, let the audience meet you halfway instead of letting us know so much that like, no, no, this guy is nuts. Like, don't take him seriously. Yeah, for sure. And I'll also say the season four of Fargo, slightly reminiscent of a show that you and I have talked about in the past. I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, but Godfather of Harlem. I have not. I have not watched Epics it, yeah. with the great Forrest Whitaker. It's just, it's got, it scratches that same itch of warring factions and there's like a black mob versus Italian mob, et cetera. And, and though I've noticed a lot of Raising Arizona references already this season, it's also obviously got a debt to Miller's Crossing, another Coen Brothers movie where it's like warring factions and mobs with very stylized dialogue and sort of some over the top villain performances. Like there's definitely a nod to that as well. Absolutely. Oh, and I'm also enjoying the performance of Emery Crutchfeld in the show. Yes. I mean, there's a lot like that's one of the reasons that Fargo is always like a delightful show is that they always pack it full of great character actors doing fun, eccentric turns like that's one of the things that i think keeps me coming back year after year is you know there's going to be a couple great roles for some fun actors yeah for sure yeah i think this is a fun season of television so far dive into fargo season four and if you watch one and two skip season three is my advice i I liked it i still thought it was pretty good okay you know what watch it and then let us know then yeah hit us up on uh snapchat let us know yeah, this is a hot question. Let us know. Question yeah, Lon, you're on killing Snapchat. it on Snapchat. Get your Snap spectacles and look us up with your eyes. That's how I'm not work. on Snapchat, Lon. You didn't buy Snapchat spectacles, the hot new gear of late 2020? No, man. Uh, yeah. I, I, remember those? You don't remember those? You had to go I, like... I, I, oh, yes, I do. They, I do. They, and they, they, were, they were glasses that made you look like an idiot. And they had cameras in those them so you could circles, take... yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So you could take like... You could stream footage directly to Snapchat. Imagine. But you had to go buy them. They were like, we put a booth that is selling them on top of this mountain, solve a puzzle, figure out where to go, buy them. And people did it. That's where the world was at at that time. Yeah, but then Kylie Jenner crushed snapchat with like one tweet or something you were allowed right? to leave your house and people were like i'm gonna go climb a mountain to get the snapchat spectacles 
Because I've got a rich, full existence instead of just hanging out, making podcasts about the shows you watch while you were hanging out. If you want to watch Fargo season four, you can find it on FX on Hulu. Yes. It's also on FX, the TV network, but who watches that? Yeah, who who watches regular television? They go up on Hulu the day after they air on FX. Yeah. So also on Hulu. Look at that. You only had to backtrack to get to that transition a subtle amount. There's a new show, Monsterland. Monsterland. And I haven't watched as much of it as you. Yeah, I've seen almost all of it at this point. I'm absolutely intrigued by the first episode that I saw, and I look forward to following this anthology series. You were uh, not so hot on Monsterland. Well, I mean, look, I've been very excited about it. You give me monsters, you give me an anthology, I'm intrigued. These, This speaks to my interests. And, you know, I, I like where it's going. I like the concept. The idea basically... Each episode is kind of standalone. There are some threads that kind of get picked up through the show. We can talk about that in a bit. But each episode is kind of standalone, different location, different characters. But everything is, it's a story about sort of a desperate person, a person in an intense, troubling situation. And then there is also some kind of encounter with a monster or a creature or some sort of supernatural entity that kind of sets some of the plot in motion. And it's one of those things where, like, the, the monster always has a very close thematic connection to the person's story. So without a ton of spoilers, the episode we both watched, the pilot, Caitlin Deaver stars. She's this diner waitress. She's a single mom running out of money, kind of desperate at the end of her rope. And she encounters a monster that has the ability to switch personalities, switch identities, transform and take on multiple new lives. So you could sort of see the the connection, like a person desperate to escape a creature with this ability to change who it is and escape its life and, and move on. And, and every episode has that kind of an echo. Yeah, I love Caitlin Deaver. She is fantastic in just like everything she does, book smart. What was the Netflix series? Unbelievable. Unbelievable was the net. Yeah, with Tony Collette. Oh, and, yeah, just very, powerful, very heartbreaking yeah, very good, stuff. Very good. And just her performance as this single mom, I mean, there you just can't help but like feel for this character and it's gritty and it's hard to watch at times. And she's uh, really fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, I think that touches on what works best about the show, which is the performances and the, the drama. I mean, I mean, my issues with it are not with how it works as like a drama series, which is overall very good. I mean, like, like uh, you know, all, all of the episodes have that kind of a hook where it's a very good performance. It's an interesting character or, it's, you know, like a good character actor that's getting a chance to, like, spread their wings and do something fun. But I have to say, in terms of the balance with horror and how it balances the horror and the drama, I, I feel like the balance is way off. It doesn't really take the monster or the horror stories very seriously. They're kind of just there to thematically offset the real story, which is the whatever's going on with the character the sort of social commentary or the drama episode two, which I know you didn't watch. It's got the guy from Ozark in it, who whose name I'm blanking on. And I'm trying to look it up now while we're talking. Uh, it's got <laughs> Jason Bateman. No, no, no. It's got, it, it, I'll, 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 I'll figure this out as we're, as we're talking, but anyway, it, it's, it's this kid and he sees this shadow monster in his room. Oh, Charlie Tahan. He plays Wyatt Langmore. On okay. Ozark. 
Uh, and he sees this shadow monster in his house. It's like, it looks like a shadow, but it's not his shadow. And then it can like move around and manipulate things. And then he joins this online hate group full of people who also believe in shadow monsters. And it very quickly takes a turn and becomes this kind of obvious social commentary satire about online hate groups and how they recruit people. And that's so clearly what the episode wants to be about. It's about this phenomenon that's very real and very relevant about how people get sucked into these online hate movements and how it poisons people's thinking and how it sort of brainwashes them. These people who are sort of loners who maybe need a community, whatever. And the shadow monster thing becomes so obviously just like a metaphor that I, I don't know. I feel like you want to you want to give that a little bit more attention so that it doesn't just feel like a metaphor. It feels like part of the story. Yeah, I, I felt like and I'm still after the first episode, I'm learning the rules of the world. Like, I don't know quite how monsters exist. And I'm seeing it, it feels like two separate threads. I'm interested in both of the threads. I want to keep watching to see if it comes together. And there's a, if we learn a little bit more about the defined parameters of this world, because I don't know how exactly monsters exist here. So far, as far as I can tell, the only real connective tissue is Caitlin Deaver. Her character, mm -hmm. I won't spoil anything, but at the end of her episode, her fate is kind of left open enough that she then shows up in some of these other stories later and we get little updates. So it is clearly all one world in which this one character at least is moving through it. And I think there are there are other characters who pop up in multiple episodes, not just her. Several, if you look on IMDb, like several people are like two episodes. We don't ever get a, a much clearer sense of here's the rules of how the supernatural world overlaps with the human world. It's really more like these snapshots. But in some cases, I really do think it's almost purely metaphor. Like there's an episode that's set in New Orleans where a woman sees a demonic trumpet player. But it's very clearly designed to be, well, this is in her head and really it's stand. It's a stand-in for something else, which I won't delve into. Uh, I really like how the storyline is. You know, we, we get an allegorical monster character to kind of factor in, and I want to see how that plays out over the course of the show. But you had a thought about these monsters. Well, I mean, Monsterland, like a lot of other shows that have monsters in them, they all kind of pivot around the similar idea. The Witcher on Netflix is another great example. And it's really always people are the real monsters. You know, you, you think that the monster is the killer, but you know who the biggest killer of all is? It's humanity. It's us. <laughs> uh, it feels like every show with monsters in it ultimately has to turn the tables and be like, you, the viewer, you're the real monster here, not these monsters. They also do that with aliens a lot. Like, we have to destroy these aliens. And it turns out the aliens were peace-loving creatures who could have helped us. And humans are the real pieces of shit. I mean, think of the wizarding world as well. Like, oh, Buckbeak's never heard a fly. It's just you terrible people who make him do that. Well, I would also contend that the author of uh, Harry Potter is... <laughs> can be a monster sometimes i mean look she can be awful and this can be a trope pal both of those things can be true at the same time yes agreed fuck you jk rowling anyway here's what i'm saying Boom. one time i would like to see a reverse of that a show about monsters 
we're the monsters of the real monsters. Why can't we ever get a reverse monster? Ah. You know, because like in reality, you know who the real monsters are? Freaking monsters. That's that people. If I saw a monster, I would be like, you know what I'm more afraid of is people. I'd be like, oh, my God, look out for the monster. So, So here are a few scenarios on my new anthology series where monsters are the real monsters. Oh, yeah. We're in a war-torn city. It's like World War II bombed French village. Our heroes are are looking through the rubble, searching for survivors. We go the whole time thinking, oh, this must be the the aftermath of some horrible battle against the advancing German forces. But we get to the end and, uh, no, it was a monster attack the whole time. Monsters did this. Have these actual Nazi monsters no humanity? That's the question we're asking. So is this like a TV adaptation of Dead Snow, Lon? Yeah, so a little bit. Okay, next, next day. You don't like that one? Here's another one. I have to run it by the team. I have to run it by the team. All right. Ch- try this one on for size. We've got a pair of detectives. They are hunting a notorious serial killer. Methodical. They're trying. No profiler, no FBI profiler can get a read on this guy. His motives are totally obscured because... When they find him, it turns out it's an interdimensional robot who's made of knives. Whoa! There is no MO, it's just a monster. You know, I loved, this sounds like True Detective with a real monster payoff. Yeah, finally we get to Carcosa, folks. Am I right? Yes, with me? like I wanted that Yellow King to materialize as a, like a fucking demon. Oh no, you know who the real monster is? These perverts. Like, okay, I, yeah, I guess so. Great, super religious perverts hiding a secret. Let's go make flowers. Thank you for an entire season for this. Lon, I greenlight that one totally greenlit. All right. You want to do one more? Yeah. And I just came up with one as well because like I'm inspired. I'm inspired by your premise here, Lon. You take one, a reverse monster scenario. Here we go. Okay. So you're watching the news circa 2001 and whoa, the the World Trade Center just fell. Oh my goodness. I get, wait, so is this a new World Trade Center or it's the same one? It's circa 2001, so it's the original. It's the original World Trade Center. I thought we were maybe in an alternate reality or something. It might be an alternate universe, a different plane of existence. Uh, Maybe we'll find that out in subsequent episodes. But Tower 1 falls, Tower 2 falls, and they're like, oh, was it Osama bin Laden? And then we get a fuzzy transmission and it turns out it was a monster. And this monster has no skin on his face and he's got giant nipples that are squirting poison and he can fly too. And he flew through the buildings. I'm a sicko monster and I'm knocking down buildings and maybe I'll come to your town. Yeah, jet fuel can't melt steel beams, but his breath can. That's the tragedy his, for people. His breath. Oh, and the oh, and the poison that comes out of his nipples. Yeah, of course, that can melt can, steel beams. So yes. take that loose change doesn't even exist in yep. that reality. <laughs> so mine is ripped from the headlines. Ripped from the headlines. Very timely. I got another one. So yeah. we are in. It, we're on a dragon hunt in a fantasy kingdom. Now they believe in this kingdom that dragons can turn into humans. So the dragon could be anybody. It could be a man who could be the real monster. But as it turns out, when they get to the dragon's cave, 
No, the dragon can't turn into a man. It can only turn into an even bigger dragon. Twist. Shocking twist. You thought human, the real monster. No, the real monster, just a bigger monster. Whoa. So it can go from like like a little Drogon or something to freaking Smaug? It can be, it can Smaugify itself. It can Smaugify on demand. Smaug was a big ass motherfucker. Smaug's a big dragon. Smaug- too big, almost non-maneuverable. Yeah, almost non-maneuverable. I mean, could do as much damage, but in a more compact size would be more effective. Yeah, so the dragon... What is he, can I ask this? Smaug is so huge. What is he eating during centuries or decades at least spent inside a castle? Yeah. Obviously, he couldn't easily get in and out of that castle. Nope. And th- there wasn't any steady food source and there weren't like dragon he eat pellets. Gold? Do dragons eat gold? Yeah. I mean, it's either he eats gold or he's just like self-sustaining. Yeah. Is somebody bringing him food? Yeah. Does he have little minions? Is there a or- Tolkien scholar listening right now? If there is, hit us up and let us know what Smaug is eating while he's How hiding in the Smaug- Lonely Mountain. And that's a giant, like we established, Big ass dragon, so he's gonna need a lot of food. Yeah, he's gonna need like 30, 30 trolls a day to, yeah, to, 30, to survive. Yeah, like like he needs meat. Like that's a lot of dwarves. Like he's gonna need to eat like a Dwayne the Rock Johnson cheat day. Man. Oh, that's a really grim thought I had. What if he just killed a, all the dwarves, but he's like socked them away somehow? Like he salted all the dwarf meat. And now he just eats it a little bit at a time so he doesn't have to go out for groceries. Because he's got Lake Town there. He could just go periodically and eat people in Lake Town, but I don't feel like he has been. I mean, there's only two people who know. J.R.R. Tolkien, who took it to his grave, and Benedict Cumberbatch, who played Smaug. So if Once, we can find- One day when we have enough juice to get uh, Benny Crumbs on the show here, I think that'll be our first question. And I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to please ask you to call him Benny Crumbs. Of course. I mean, that is that's what he goes by. I'm assuming I don't know him personally, but I'm assuming he's Benny Crumbs. Why wouldn't he be right? Why the hell not? Why? If you had uh, that as an option, you'd be a fool to leave that on the table. So please, let's not forget that we may never know what Smaug eats and a monster did 9-11. Yeah. I also feel like there's one where you could make it seem like it's a it was a nuclear explosion like, oh, like we're in a, we're in a post nuclear apocalypse. And it's like, oh, humanity. Wait, why couldn't we all learn to get along? But then it turns out that no humanity, they had already gotten rid of all of their nuclear weapons. And this was just a radioactive monster from space did this. Oh, well, that sounds like the plot of a Godzilla movie, except to be a radioactive monster from underwater. Yeah, but like, well, not Godzilla, Toho are like gargantua. <laughs> you know what? Uh, let's write it up and send it to Japan. Maybe we have the next Godzilla movie after yeah. after Godzilla versus King Kong. No, it's a it's an episode of my reverse monster show, Hal. Come on. Okay, try to stay, well, try to focus here. Oh. Um, apologies apologies toho you can't have this gem no this is part of my i'm doing a thing all right that's and scene (laughs) lon some people call october the spookiest month of the year some almost might call it shocktober whoa we watched a horror movie from italy the binding on netflix I, I, 
I enjoyed it. It turns out to be a very conventional, like, ghost possession riff, like, very much like Italy's take on The Conjuring, which is fine, and it's good at doing that, and it works successfully as that. But there's one scene early on in the movie, and you may know what I'm talking about already, that makes you think it's going to be something much more interesting and cool than it then does not pay off at all. There's one scene where it's a bunch of old Italian people talking about uh, the curse that ends up dominating the movie, and they mention the evil eye. The lady's like, oh, and it's like, oh, that's, you know you know this kind of curse, like the evil eye. And I was like, oh, is this going to be an evil eye movie? Hell yeah, I want to see an evil eye movie from Italy. And then really nothing else about evil eyes, just kind of a ghost possession. The ghost takes control of the, the person. Thing. Yeah, I thought it was way too conventional. And you know what? I did not find the binding that scary. Yeah, I mean, it really, the binding is just, it's just a haunting. It does, All it really ends up meaning is once the ghost has picked the person, they're the one that it's going to like, ooh, I'm going to spook them, you know, like, and, and that's really it. That's really all it is. And here's a little bit of a pet peeve. Like, this movie's dubbed and. Oh, no, you can also watch it with subtitles. I watched it with subtitles. Oh, okay. Well, I watched the dub version and the acting always goes down a peg when you watch the dubbed version. Yes. I mean, if we can have an official Binge Boys verdict on this, I vote always watch the anime. Listen, I don't want to wade into this. You do what you want, anime fans. I'm not here to judge. But for everything else, I personally prefer the subtitled version, not the dubbed version, for exactly the reason I want to hear the original actor's performance. Yeah, it's really just... I don't know, haphazardly dubbed. But you can you can watch The Binding with subtitles and the original Italian audio. Uh, and the guy, Francesco, the, the main actor, you may recognize as the villain from John Wick Chapter 2. Oh, no, I didn't. He's D'Antonio, the head of the Italian or Neapolitan mob, I believe. Good eye, good eye, Lon. Yeah, the... The, the I mean, these people, they you know, I just I didn't feel bad for them. I wasn't that scared. They were playing fast and loose with spells and incantations and they got burned. And you know what? I don't have I don't have any sympathy for anyone in this movie. I mean, it's a, the, the, the person who gets cursed is a small child. Hal. You, you know what? You play fat. You play fast and loose with incantations. She's not a witch. She's she's purely. She's just wrong place, wrong time. Listen, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. You know what? She is a poor child that did um, get caught in the crossfire here. Yeah, she she didn't ask to be brought to this creepy villa. She just is a victim of circumstance. But also, like, her mother, like, sees what's going on and, like, could have gotten out of there a little bit sooner. But no, they just hang around. This is a runner, a running problem in all your kind of haunted house movies. Unless you have a real good ironclad excuse going in for why don't they just leave at the first sign of real trouble. You're kind of in a bad place. Like, I was watching a... James Wan's Dead Silence. You ever seen that with the ventriloquist dummy, the haunted? Oh, I know it. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. It's pretty good. It's got a cool, it's got a cool twist, but it definitely has this problem where the main character just keeps this ventriloquist dummy around like the whole movie. He just like, well, I'm going to sleep in this motel for the night. Yes, I'll just set the haunted dummy up right here. And it's like, at least put it in your car, man. Like, yeah, is, what are you doing? Is the ventriloquist Jeff Dunham? 
He's not, although that would be a great movie. He should really do a horror movie where his racist puppets come to life. Yeah. Oh, no, he's getting attacked by the pepper on a stick. Yeah, the, the oppressed peoples he's been mocking for for, for years now inhabit their souls inhabit his racist puppets yeah the horrific stereotype of his dead terrorist <laughs> how is that how is that real anyway yeah yeah so the binding definitely has that problem where there's a lot of like well i really like this guy and we got to be nice to his mom and it's like you'd leave once your daughter starts like choking up like hairs and like weird like ritual stuff is happening that's when you get out that's when you leave the haunted villa Here's one more issue that this just might be my personal issue. I like that we're I like that we picked out this obscure Italian movie on Netflix and now we're just hammering the shit out of it. I really Yeah, like, well, I it's spooky that. season and I don't want to give people a bum steer in spooky season. The the term binding. Yeah. The term binding lawn is a synonym for being constipated. My mother would always say <laughs> Oh, are you eating white rice or bananas? That's binding. They're very binding. binding. I feel like my family could never agree on what was binding. Like (laughs) you would hear some relatives would tell you things are binding. I'm like, I don't think that is binding. Like cheese. I've heard cheese binding, not binding in my experience. Listen, Lon, I've had many bouts of constipation in my life. I'll admit it. Yeah. For our non-Jewish listeners, we should probably explain now. Jews are obsessed with their bowels. Uh, we talk about it a lot. It's a cultural thing. It's in, in a lot of waspy families. That's weird. They don't just talk about how their stomachs are doing all the time. But we do. And you're just going to have it's going to be a binge boys thing. You're just going to have to roll with it. Well, yeah, I don't know about you, Lon. I have morning rituals. I have like I have a uh, of dietary constraints, whatever. I thought this was going to be a really spooky movie about constipation. So much to my chagrin, there was no talk of bowel movements in this movie. Yeah, wow. I can see like Stephen King like thinner how he like it's except it's just you get more and more constipated as the book goes on. Like Oh, and you just want to lay in bed. You don't even want to go to work. Thinner, I think, relies on some outdated Romani stereotypes. So we won't do that but you come up with a different kind of witch's curse uh for the guy to become increasingly constipated speaking of the binding i did i know you didn't check these out but i have shutter so i've been watching a lot of horror movies on shutter which is amc's standalone horror focused service they're putting up a lot of great original movies these days that are like shutter originals that they picked up at festivals or bought on the indie market there's one coming out next week called the mortuary collection with clancy brown that looks great so I watched a few of these recently uh, that I wanted to talk about. The first one I really like, it's called The Cleansing Hour. And the setup, it is not a comedy, but the setup is basically like, it's the three amigos or the galaxy quest of like an exorcism genre. So like, it's these guys and they do fake live streams of exorcisms. Like one of them dresses up like a priest and they have special effects and they bring in actors and they pretend that they're like doing live stream exorcisms, but people believe them. And it's like a popular like Twitch show. But then one person they bring in and do the the show with actually is possessed by a demon and they have to like do a live for real exorcism, like based just on what they can look up online or what they know about demons. And it's really fun and it's really well done. And it builds to like a cool climax and, it's just a small movie that all one room and they just very clever about how they kind of twist and turn it. That sounds really fun. It sounds like a uh, really cool. Be careful what you wish for. It has that same like 
it's always fun to see kind of the tables turn in that kind of a scenario. Like there was a, oh, shut eye on, on Hulu that was like, uh, oh yeah. It was like he was a he was a fake psychic who suddenly was granted like actual psychic power. And it's always like a fun twist on that kind of genre trope, like a meta way to do it. So I really liked that one. The other one is this one called Scare Me that I watched. It's kind of a, a hybrid comedy and horror movie. It was okay. It was an interesting premise. I don't know if it kind of paid off enough. It was this guy, Josh Rubin who wrote and directed it. I believe he was a, a college humor guy. Oh, I've worked with I've worked with Josh Rubin over at College Humor back in the day. Right, so he stars in it as well. And it's him and Aya Cash, who was just so great on The Boys season two, which is why I wanted to watch it right away. And so the two of them, she plays this very successful horror writer and he plays this, up, this guy who wants to become a, a horror writer. And they just happen to be staying in cabins on the same like isolated mountain during a, a blizzard. And so they decide to like hang out together. They don't know each other, but they decide to hang out together and like swap horror stories. And it becomes competitive. They're both writers. They want to like out scare one another. And it, it sort of becomes like this two hander about the tension that builds between them. And also they're st- telling scary stories. And I, I kept, I, I wanted there to be a bigger, better payoff at the end, but it really is an actor showcase for these two actors. And they're both great. And it's like, it's very, it's fun to see them sort of bounce the stories off one another. And they're good storytellers. And especially if you really enjoyed Aya Cash in The Boys, as I did, this is another fun performance from her. Yeah, she's fantastic as Stormfront this season. But that's awesome. And Lon, how does one get Shudder? If you have AMC, do you automatically have Shudder? No, you have to sign up. So it is like an app that like, you know, if you've got Roku, if you've got a, a gaming console, if you've got a smart TV, it's got an app on most of those places, so you can pull it up there as a standalone service. It is also available through Amazon Prime channels. You know how you can sign up for third-party services through Amazon Prime? So I believe you can pay like five or seven bucks a month and get Shutter that way. Yeah, I watch some uh, Epics uh, stuff on uh, Amazon Prime. So it's not free, is it free? It's not free, no. It's like five bucks extra a month. But like, if you are very specifically a horror fan... It, it is probably the best single destination for horror on the internet. And original shows, too. Like, they did the new Creep Show series that's coming back for a second season. It's a good mix of classic horror movies, new movies that they're debuting, shows. So, yeah, it's kind of a one-stop shop if you're, like, a, a horror junkie. Yeah. Lon, I think they should take that pull quote from you. Shudder, the best destination for horror on the internet. There you go. You can have that for free, Shudder. You don't have to advertise on our show, although... I wish you would, please. Yes, please. Shudder, Shudder, we are here for you. So, Lon, yeah, I've been watching, I checked out the first couple episodes of the new show Utopia on Amazon Prime, and uh, I'm enjoying it. There are a couple of things about it that irked me, and it uh, stars Rain Wilson, John Cusack, and... Yeah, Gillian Flynn, the Gone Girl writer. Yep, Gillian Flynn, writer of Gone Girl. So it's about this conspiracy theory that is laid out in a comic book and the comic book is very mysterious and the issues stopped coming out and then a sequel to this 
much ballyhooed cult classic comic book came out and everyone wants to get their hands on the sequel, but it's only a manuscript and this wild chase begins to get the manuscript so they can kind of piece together and unlock this conspiracy theory. So there are a lot of like cool, like kind of uh, hot button types of things to explore, like the world of comics and then the world of conspiracy theories and kind of coming together. But the one thing that really bugged me about the first episode, they had sort of this knockoff Comic-Con in the first episode called Fringe Con. And I'm really un just unnaturally bothered. It's a, just like too much of a pet peeve for me. Fake IPs that they have to invent to fill the halls of a fake Comic-Con. It, it takes me out of the show. I think we're just, we're in an era now where there's so many comic book parodies and they all have to do this. Like we were just talking about the boys, which also has to do this. And then like, you know, but it's like, since the nineties, like mystery men. And like every single time you have like a new superhero world, that's not Marvel or DC. They've got to make up their own versions of all the characters. And it's like part of the fun, but we've just seen it so many times now. Like how many more, variations do we possibly need to see like how many times are we going to get a laugh out of dr horrible doing the like well here's this version of captain america and here's this version of you know wolverine and it's like we get it we've seen venture brothers we've seen you know every other show exactly. and movie and do this and this version at Utopia, they go to, in Utopia, they go to this Comic-Con and you, you see all the booths that are supposedly for all of these other intellectual properties. But it's like, oh, space pirates and the unicorns. And they're just so generic. And yeah, I mean, like uh, the Simpsons was doing Radioactive Man in like the early 90s. Like this joke is old. Yeah, it's tongue in cheek. But here... Yeah, it's just filler, and it's it's too much of a pet peeve for me. And the joke is played. I mean, it, it, it's, we you know, like, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back was 20 years ago. Like, the joke is played now. We've seen everybody's made the same observation that, yes, those classic superhero stories, like, it was pretty cookie cutter, and a lot of the villains were just like, come up with a theme, like, the fishmonger, and then all of it is puns about fish, and his weapons are fish, and, like, Yes, that is how those old comic book work. We all get it. We've all seen the joke play out a thousand times. And like, there's only so much to commentary about that. Like our culture keeps demanding comic book and superhero properties, but there's only so many takes on them left to do. And I mean, the boys does a really good job of making it still feel fresh because it's a com very relevant commentary about pop culture today. I got too hung up on it. I will admit it. But the show is interesting. I think it goes down a kind of a fascinating path about conspiracy theories. We do live in a kind of a golden age of weird, just horrific conspiracy theories that are tearing at the very fabric of society. Yeah, they're less fun, though. It's less fun. Like, hey, it's like a comic book. And it's more like, 
I'm going to bring down the government. <laughs> yeah, know? no. Golden age of conspiracy theories that are pretty frightening. So I, I don't know if this validates conspiracy theorists too much. This it kind of sounds but... like it does. I yeah, it, it might. So I, I don't know if it's if that's the uh, right hill to die on right now for, for a show like saying, oh, hey, conspiracy theorists, you're right. It does all add up. They are watching you. But after watching a couple episodes, yeah, I'm going to keep going and, because it is a cool adventure that was set up. And there are a couple of characters. There are these two hired like contract killers who we don't know too much about yet, who th- they give me a real kind of Steve Buscemi and Fargo kind of vibe. They're like these just like kind of weirdos who you wouldn't think they would be killers. But yeah, th- they're like really just kind of funny, bizarre characters. So it's a nice collection of characters, good ensemble cast. And uh, I think Utopia is worth checking out if you can get past the fake IPs. <laughs> Which really bothered you. Surprising yes, it did, amount. too much. Again, it's stuck in my crawl. Don't stick in house craw shows. Let that be a lesson to you. Ugh. Just avoid the craw generally. Stay out of my craw and we're going to be yeah, good. Just don't get in somebody's craw to begin with. You get in my craw, we're going to have an issue. Yeah, we're going to have words. Lon, before we go, we, we're we very lucky we have a guest that stopped by. Um, Is it for I'm the going, new segment, What's in Hell's Craw? Because I'm looking forward to that. But we will come back to that uh, in yeah. future episodes. I think, yeah, uh, look what's, forward to that, folks. Yeah, what's in Hell's Craw what's for in this Hal's week? Craw? Let's take a look inside Hal's Craw. boop <laughs> <laughs> We have someone, and I'm going to cede the microphone to our guest, and uh, he will take over and uh, chat with you, Lon. We have, from the Family Film Council, Hmm. Barry Lube. Barry Lube, who's looking out for uh, films for the entire family. He's here to talk to us. Okay, you see, you guys are not, you're not quarantining, you guys are bubbling together? Yes, I agreed to let him come use my mic. He's wearing a mask. He's going to sit down, staying socially distant. As long as you're observing COVID protocols. Okay. Yes, absolutely. This recording session is not a spreader event, Lon. Thank you. Okay, good to know. Hello, I'm Barry Lube, and I am with the Family Film Council. It's good to meet you, Lon. Hal, thank you for seating the microphone. Uh, Nice to meet you, Mr. Lube. Can I just ask one question? Who funds your organization? Who's behind the Family Film Council? Concerned parents or a nonprofit organization that we, we are here to just give our take on media, on TV, on movies to let you know what you can enjoy as a family. Because what can you watch as a family nowadays? I'll sit down to watch something with my wife and kids and, my, and the grandmother, the grandfather, and then you put on a show and you never know when. Oops, someone is going to be getting fingered in the middle of a show. I hate when that happens. When I'm watching with the grandmother, especially. With the grandmother and the grandfather. Like, yeah. And is, that, is that your grandmother and grandfather? Or the children's? We just have a grandmother and grandfather figure that we're not related to. All right. But... So just, yes, they are a grandmother and grandfather, but uh, their grandchildren not present. No, they are just a neighborhood grandmother and grandfather. It's a chaperone type situation. You can't always leave grown adults alone. Sometimes they need a grandmother and grandfather. Besides my wife and kids, I have no living family. Yeah, I I, I mean, I've heard Mike Pence does this too. He just did like 
he, he doesn't trust himself around other people, so he needs a grandmother and grandfather on hand. Yes. Yes, I understand. So today, I know you're a streaming show, and I'd like to talk about something that you would find on the Disney Plus streamer. Okay, sure. I'm familiar with that. You've one. heard of the Disney Plus? I have. I've, yes, it's a uh, it's one of the one of the one of the bigger streaming platforms. It has as many as four movies on it. I've I've come to understand. I would like to encourage all parents and families to stay the heck away from the Toy Story franchise. Really, a popular series for families. Yes, and I will tell you. I've just never been a fan of anthropomorphized objects. That's your issue with the Toy Story movie. Yes, it is. They're not natural. Some might say a talking toy comes from the devil's toy store. I think that's possibly true. I personally have just a devastating, unsettling memory tied to anthropomorphized objects, and I'm going to encourage people to stay away. I mean, it's no secret, Lon that I had my times with substance abuse in the 90s. One of my guilty pleasures back then was smoking Parliament cigarettes dipped in formaldehyde. Right. So this was the root of your unpleasant scenarios with anthropomorphized objects. Yes. After going on a little bender with a formaldehyde-dipped parliament... I believe that's known as... Was it doing wet? Smoking wet? Is that what that was known by? What was that known by on the street? We used to call it a Parliament cigarette dipped in formaldehyde. Okay, okay. But maybe where your neck of the woods, you called it wet. When I used to do that, I believe those were called wet cigarettes or PCP. You could also dip them in PCP. I don't want to judge. I'm just putting this information out there. I feel like the audience deserves to know. I feel judged. I feel judged. I feel like you're questioning my street cred. Listen, we're all smoking wet around here. So Listen, all I'll say is I had my times with substance abuse back in the 90s. And after one of these delicious parliaments dipped in formaldehyde that you call wet, I had a long and difficult conversation slash confrontation with a fire hydrant who I saw as a little man in yellow clothing. That does sound traumatizing. That sounds very upsetting. He was speaking very rude to me, and I beat the hell out of him, and I didn't come to realize later that I broke my hand on a fire hydrant. And that funny little man told me that I needed to go save my friends who were in prison. And I saw the prison, and it was my job to break them out. And it turned out that prison was a sewer grate. Lon, I ended up nude in the sewer. Right. And I was bleeding. I snagged my genitals on metal. You you snagged your genitals on metal in the sewer? Yes. I got a pretty bad infection, and I drank shit water. So for those reasons, I'm saying... Stay away from Toy Story, all four of the movies. Now, is the concern that a child might see the Toy Story films or even, let's say, I don't know, the Brave Little Toaster, and they would then say, I'm going to interact with these objects, thus leading them down the same dark path as you. Do you think that the smoking cigarettes uh, or I believe joints, I believe marijuana, also an option 
for all of you wet enthusiasts. I feel like that may be the bigger factor in what happened to you, Mr. Lube, as opposed to the watching of a film like Toy Story. You know, listen, everyone's journey is their own. I'm every day I take one day at a time. I'm in recovery. Right. So is this this the primary focus of the family film council's work? Or do you also look at movies for other factors that might be of negative impact to children? Oh, we we take all factors into an into account. And again, this is just my opinion, but anthropomorphize objects. It, it just might take you right back to being on the streets, nude, arguing with a fire hydrant. It's what they call in the industry gateway whimsy. You want to avoid gateway whimsy. It can lead to much more hardcore whimsy, which is not always pleasant. I mean, I don't know if Toy Story is going to cause you the same kind of flashback it caused me. But as soon as my wife put that movie on, I was I went into my car and wept and leaned on the horn. Wow. That's both. It's both sad and irritating at once. That's yes. So Toy Story one through four. I'm saying no thank you. It was a harrowing experience. But having said that, I think one thing you're maybe overlooking, in fairness to Team Pixar, uh, in Toy Story, in the world of Toy Story, those objects purposefully stop interacting the moment humans are around. It seems to me like that's a more thoughtful approach. To your own point, if the fire hydrant had respectfully stopped acting sentient when you were around... None of this would have happened. This is true. So perhaps Toy Story is forwarding a positive example to inanimate objects with personalities. uh, And you should consider maybe spreading the word. All I know is that it took me back to a real intense freak out. Okay, I think that's fair. I think you can keep your Toy Story. And as much as you proselytize for your precious Disney lawn, Harris, you will never get me to get on board the Pixar Toy Story train. I mean, they are funding this podcast as well as my lifestyle. So I am indebted to the House of Mouse, I will say. Aha. I knew it. I smelt it. Anyway. Thank you for having me on. I look forward to maybe coming by again to let you know what you and your family should sit down and take a gander at. I'm Barry Lube from the Family Film Council. All right. I, I thank you for coming, Mr. Lube. We, it was an enlightening talk. And everybody, just reminding you, Soul, coming to Disney Plus exclusively on December 25th, Christmas Day. Check it out. That one looks good. Thank you, Barry Lube. You know, Lon, some people have told me that I sound a little bit like Barry Lube, just uh, uh, with, with, a, with a little bit of a higher voice. Tell me about your favorite way to smoke a Parliament cigarette. Just normal. I just want to I just want to uh, enjoy that recessed filter the way God meant it to be without any dipping. I got I got to tell you, I don't hear it. I don't hear it. Oh, OK, Lon, I think that's our show. I believe that's it. Yeah. Unbelievable. Flew by. Yes. Tell folks where they can find you. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That's the best way to hunt me down. And if you want to read my daily thoughts about streaming TV and film and all the stuff going on with streaming, check out my newsletter. It's uh, inside.com slash streaming. That's where to find it. It's totally free five days a week. 
take a look. Very cool. And you can find me at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. And leave us a pleasant review on iTunes. Please make it pleasant. I don't care how many stars you give us, but make it pleasant for the love of God. You know, a one star review, but with when you're saying something pleasant that no, don't do that. Please leave us a five star. Please stars. don't just give us a one star review because now it's a joke that we're making. That would be self-sabotage. You don't have to say anything pleasant. Just five stars. I, I would appreciate pleasant comment. This has been Binge Boys. See you next time. Bye-bye. Binge Boys, Binge Boys. Binge Boys, Binge Boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch in the fuck out of shit.